Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our episodes are presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. And Chip will join us to talk about Vanderbilt's baseball series loss at Alabama, and we'll reset some things going forward. Chip appears on the guest line that's sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our episode with Chip Frederick. Chip Frederick joins us. It's Monday morning. Vanderbilt has completed its series at Alabama. It did not go the way the Commodores wanted on just a weird weekend in Tuscaloosa. Luke White was down there, and I want to talk to him maybe later in the week about that. But Alabama fires its coach, who by all appearances did not necessarily have his team's best interest in mind with some of the decisions he made. Bama changes coaches right before the series Walks off with a 2-1 series win. Not the best weekend for Vanderbilt Chip, but at the end of the day, the Commodores still tied with Arkansas. Uh, It's a new team now. LSU was ahead, but now Arkansas and Vandy, after LSU loses the final two games to Auburn, uh, now falls to third behind those two teams. Anyway, that is a long preamble to welcoming you to the show, but appreciate you joining us today, and I'm looking forward to talking some baseball. Glad to be back on, Chris. And yeah, a crazy weekend when you look at it. Um, you know, you go into it with the first game on Thursday, not going the way you want, and give a bunch of runs and almost get run ruled in, in, the, in the process. And when the dust settles, it wasn't a good weekend for any of the leaders, really. I mean, as you mentioned, South Carolina gets, uh, when I say leaders, those are the top of the standings, close to the top of the standings. South Carolina gets swept. Florida loses two out of three at, at Texas A&M. Tennessee, who's been making a resurgence, they they lose two out of three at Georgia, who's now 10 and 14. And we talked about the importance of Georgia having some victories this weekend on last week's show, how important that was. And they come through and win two out of three. And LSU loses two out of three and, and relinquishes their spot in the SEC West, as you just mentioned, to Arkansas. So, you know, the, it, this just proves, and you and I have talked about this on air, and we've talked about it off on uh, the podcast, of just how what a uh, a balanced year this year this year is in college baseball. How there's a lot more parity, and and a lot of uh, teams not doing well on the road, especially in this league. They're they're going uh, doing well at home, but when they go on the road, they're encountering different beasts, and and they're not getting the job done. So. You know, when, as the dust settles here and we're on a Monday morning after that, uh, the, the conference series where Vandy loses two out of three to Alabama, they didn't really lose anything. I mean, as far as that, you know, Kentucky gained a little ground on them, but they're still, you know, uh, three, three games back and Vanderbilt's got the tiebreaker. So nobody really gained ground on Vanderbilt, uh, where in striking distance, although you said Kentucky those are three big victories. They started the weekend at 11 and 10, and now they're 14 and 10. But as the dust settles, it's, it's, it was a still, still doesn't make you feel any good, feel any better than you did when you, on Thursday afternoon, when all those situations in Alabama, you, that, that could have gone two ways, Chris. And, and talking to people that I'm friends with who follow baseball, 
they were either going to lay a big egg Alabama meeting and not show up and Vanderbilt was going to beat them, sweep them. And you got chaos. You don't know, you know, you're, you got a new coach and you, all these doubts of why was our coach allegedly doing this behind our back and behind the world's back, or they could have rallied like they did. And next thing you know, they're, they're they win two out of three. I, it, it could have gone either way. And unfortunately Vanderbilt, they, they found a very motivated team in Alabama and, and things didn't go well. But uh, in summary, a lot of people waking up on Monday morning in the SEC at the top of the league and not feeling very good about where they did, um, as opposed to where the week when the weekend started. So strange things continue to happen. There's six games left. A lot of baseball to be played. Vanderbilt controls their own destiny with Florida this weekend and Gainesville, which is a tough place. Uh, to do that and then wrap up with Arkansas, the leader of the West. So you're talking about looking at the standings, the next six games, Vanderbilt is playing teams that are right behind them and on the other side, of the, at least the current point, top of the league in the West, to determine where they're going to fit in the SEC tournament and probably more important, where they're going to shake out as far as being a national seed. Uh, I think hosting is going to happen, but whether they can get in that top yeah. eight and guarantee themselves a chance to 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 be a national seed. It's going to be really hard for them to fall out of the top eight national seat picture. I mean, they're going to have to really face plant. I'm just looking at the numbers. I've spent a lot of the last two days, and I'll do a bracketology thing, regional projections for my SEC stuff. But, yeah, I mean, they have banked so much at this point, and they've got two more series coming up that are premier series that I, I just – you know, boring a, a one in five and a midweek loss or two in there. It, it's going to be hard to see how they don't host two weekends, and you know, boring much of anything. It's going to be hard to see how they don't host at least one weekend. But I'll, I'll maybe I'll get to that later. Maybe I want a, a couple things. And and like every time they have a weekend where they lose a game or two, the fans just go crazy and they convince themselves they're no good and the the hitting stinks and they don't have enough pitching and. I don't know, I just kind of roll my eyes at some of it because I, th- I think a lot of people know my job now is I, I spend more time watching the SEC on the whole and more time on that than I do just Vanderbilt. And everybody's got problems, man. As you look around the league, it's just a matter of weighing their problems against everybody else's. And so with that, I'm going to do a little exercise here. And for whatever reason, when people start bringing in advanced analytics to college baseball, uh, they dis- people dismiss it. Their eyes glaze over like at the major league. This is like everyday talking points. I don't know why these things have not filtered down into college baseball yet, but they haven't. But anyway, if you have ears to hear, here's some things that I find very interesting. If you sorted the SEC standings in conference play in run differential, here's how it goes. Vanderbilt plus 64, number one. Uh, If you want to go Pythagorean record, which is taking the runs scored and runs allowed, and seeing what the record should be, Vanderbilt's actually overachieved by four-tenths of a win there in SEC play. Um, and again, I, I think at college baseball, it's a little different than major leagues because you have uneven pitching on weekends, and sometimes you let a guy sort of soak one up for the team and, and give up some runs where maybe you could structure, structure your pitching a little differently. So I'd, if you want to bring that up as a criticism, I wouldn't push back, but I would also say that applies to every team. So anyway, Vandy number one in run differential in league play. Kentucky number two at plus 50, 14 and 10. Kentucky's actually underachieved by nearly two games, according to run differential. 
Arkansas, which is tied with Vandy overall, plus 36. Arkansas has overachieved by 2.3 games, according to Run Differential. LSU, I know the narrative is LSU is clearly the best team in this league. Uh, according to Pythag record, LSU should be 13.5 and 9.5. And uh, plus 32 in Run Differential. LSU's got some serious pitching issues that got exposed this weekend. South Carolina, which is continuing to get injured, number five at plus 31. Uh, it should be about 14 and nine in the league, according to record. Tennessee next, plus 25. Tennessee is almost two games under what the record should be, according to Pythag. Then Alabama, plus 15, despite an 11 and 13 record. Alabama is the most underachieving team in the league, according to Run Differential, which is why I've said I think Alabama is a really good team. Uh, Florida which is 15-9, and nine, plus 9 in run differential. That is the most overachieving team in the league. 2.4 wins above what the, the runs differential, the run scored runs allow say it should be for what that's worth. Followed by Texas A&M minus 4, Georgia minus 25, Auburn minus 30, Missouri minus 49, Ole Miss minus 52, and Mississippi State at a whopping minus 113. State has given up 237 runs in league play, Chip, which is more than twice what Kentucky and Vandy have allowed. Which is why their pitching coach got fired last week. You know, I mean, yeah, I and it didn't get any it. better over the weekend. Right. And, of course, we must uh, – not that an asterisk means anything. I mean, Mississippi State did give up, what was it, 26 to us. I mean, the, the, not saying that makes that much difference. It might In seven add, you know, innings. It, yeah, and it inflates um, our numbers a little bit. But, yeah. Those, those but, are but Vandy time. gave up 17 to Tennessee, like so it sort of evens out. Yeah, uh, true, true, true. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just craziness when you look at the fact that if the season ended today, that both both Mississippi teams wouldn't be in the tournament in the SEC tournament, and um, they're getting close to being 500 on the season overall. And that's kind of hard to do in the SEC. The last couple of years, very few teams have done that. At least have a winning record with the non-conference games, but those two are at the bottom but yeah it's um that those numbers do say a lot um and a little surprising that florida's numbers and then the lsu so repeat that lsu is according to that theory lsu should be 13 what did you say 13 and a half and nine and a half. i know they're yeah what's 13 a half and a half and nine yeah. and a half if yeah, you want to go according if you want to go according to expected wins to the decimal point, Vandy 16.8, Kentucky 15.8, Arkansas 14.7, LSU 13.5. LSU, of course, lost a game uh, to a rain out. South Carolina 13.6, same story there. That LSU game got rained out. Tennessee 13.9, Alabama 13.2, Florida 12.6, Texas A&M 11.7. Hey, shouldn't that be Vandy? Uh, Georgia 10.2, right. Auburn uh, 10.0. Missouri, 8.6. Ole Miss, 8.5. Mississippi State, 5.6. We need to get that to 5.8. But anyway, right. there's that your would, standings. That would, that would be. That, that would, would be. Right. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, and, and and the crazy thing, too, when you're talking about all these stats and analytics, Kentucky once again takes over the number one RPI spot, which yep. it's just sometimes teams, and, and they were talking about this on the broadcast. I watched South Carolina a little bit and Kentucky play. And the remark was, which was very poignant, that you know the RPI doesn't care that South Carolina has people hurt, and they're banged nope. up, and, and and so they get a sweep over South Carolina at home, 
and South so that that inflates that number. South Carolina is the number three RPI this morning. Kentucky's now number one. It goes Kentucky, Wake, South Carolina, LSU, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. Those are the top six in that order. So Kentucky gets the benefit of a very you talk about banged up teams. I mean, you've got you know South Carolina and their issues and and um, all over the league. Ole Miss top three pitchers are going to have to have Tommy John. Um, you know, it's going around everywhere. And I think when we look back on this, and I don't know if there's any way to correct all this uh, because it, it's the race to be to pitch 190 miles an hour to get over that uh, that 90, 95 mile an hour range if you're a pitcher. And it's too much torque in the elbow. And, the, and you're seeing it more and more and more yeah. with these. And it's just, it's continuing. But I, I you know, in Arkansas, at that five spot, I think they're a team, Chris, that if they if they get healthy and can continue to get healthy at the right spot, I think they're an Omaha team um, for sure. And and they're yeah. just you know creeping up the top of the standings now in the West, and that that will be interesting to see. And then 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 the other story about this is how when you're talking SEC, which we are right now as a whole more than any year that I can remember, it is going to be very interesting. And it might be uninteresting when it comes to the weekend, but how these teams approach the SEC tournament Hoover more than any year that I can remember, I think you're going to see a nonchalant, let's get home as soon as possible, not really, but in a, in a, in a backwards way, sort of, that you're not going to see anybody gamble in the first Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday games, and even sitting people to then. You're gonna, going to see some weird stuff happen in that tournament because I think with the arm injuries that everybody's having and the balance that's happened, I think you may get some guys who are tired and banged up in general. It, it, it could lead to somebody just totally random winning that tournament. Yeah. And I don't yeah, know who that I, would I, be. The only, the only pushback I would give, there's so many elite teams that just showing up and being half interested that that could put a, a roadblock there. But yeah, I mean, you could see a, I don't know Missouri or somebody like get that like that get to Saturday just because. You would think it could possibly be an older team, a team that has some veterans, uh, you know, yeah, or Alabama even if if Alabama, Alabama gets. Oh, you know, Alabama's a perfect one, Kentucky. Yeah, and, although Kentucky's yeah, in a little bit different spot, but yeah. yeah. So um, it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how it works um, for that tournament in Hoover, but going to be strange if it ended today that the two Mississippi teams that bring a lot of people who we talked about the last weekend wouldn't be in it. And, um, and after state who within what a two, three year period won the national championship and have just fallen on their face. Uh, you know, Mississippi state didn't make it last year, this year, not going to make it fire their pitching coach. Ole Miss started on a, on, on a down, they were going downhill fast at the end of the season, barely make it in. We're going to fire their coach. Bianco is going to get fired. Everybody knows that. They keep him on, and they go on a win streak and win the whole thing. And it's just kind of weird from the same state, two programs, rival programs, and those two teams uh, need a reset, definitely. Yeah, um, and there's a, there's a lot to bite off here. First of all, people have asked me about – like what would it take for Vanderbilt to fall out of a, a top eight or top 16 or whatever? And this is, I mean, I, I look, it depends on what other teams do, right? 
But let's just play this out. Let's say that my guess is the most likely thing that happens this weekend is Vanderbilt wins one of three in in Florida. Now, again, statistically, I, I talked about the run differential and everything. Vanderbilt looks like clearly the better team. Now, when you get into to matchups and Florida always being able to get in Vandy's head and that being in Gainesville, that's a whole other set of facts. That And I think that one could be the most important one. But, like, if Vandy wins, you know, remember this. The, the run differential is pretty different from those two teams. Now, granted, teams have played different schedules, but Auburn, or excuse me, Florida, I think also drew one of the easier schedules in league play too. So there's that. Um, let's say hypothetically, let's say even if Vanderbilt goes 0-3 in Gainesville next weekend, let's say they come to Nashville, take 2-3 or against Arkansas, which is 6-7 and seven on the road. Then at that point, if the RPI stays constant, you got Kentucky one, Carolina three, Arkansas five. Vanderbilt would have gone seven and nine or seven and two against the top five of the RPI. And that's why I just say that, you know, if you do that, it almost, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what else you do because, yeah, it's going to matter some in the seating, but I, I just don't know how they don't host two weekends if that's the way it plays out. Well, and, yeah, and, and absent of them just falling flat on their face and getting swept in Gainesville and having Arkansas take two out of three and lose to Louisville midweek tomorrow night and in and, and, and Louisville, something like that. Could see, I could see them falling out of the top eight if that just – but barring sure, I mean, they're going to host, but that, you know, I think that gets into the conversation if you take a look at their body of work over, you know, then they start looking at what happened in Tuscaloosa and what, and you start taking the big picture and looking at it of how Vanderbilt's played in the last month. Um, but short of that, I mean, I don't think Vanderbilt fans need to worry about them hosting, but the all important, you know, top eight and being able to host if they went a regional. Now what happens too, is you got to worry about, you know, the NCAA, we've talked about this. It's not like a weighted situation in basketball where, you know, sometimes they try to play and play to the gate and play to the crowd and stick some people in a regional that perhaps would not be. Um, it's supposed to be like that, but we've seen you and I have seen all too often some creative workings going on in regionals where they try to get regional matchups. Where the uh, you know all we've talked about for years there was how Louisville and Vanderbilt would be in the same regional, and that did happen. Now it hadn't happened recently, but for years that happened, and and so. You know, you don't get the weighted, you know, you still want to be the one, two or three seed in the nationally top four or five, whatever. And, and because you think it happens that way. But I think you and I have seen that before where sometimes it doesn't matter as much as it does. in, for instance, in basketball, Won't you agree? I mean, I think we we've talked about. Yeah. That before. Yeah. I mean, they they will they will lean on regional balance and geography. You know, now the interesting thing, we'll get to Louisville in a minute. Louisville is not in the tournament if you pick the field today. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. 
Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Yeah, they Louisville being twenty nine and eighteen overall, nine and fifteen nine in the and conference. And, oh, nine, nine and fifteen. And, yeah, nine and fifteen. And their RPI, I would have thought their RPI would have been a little higher, but they're what thirtieth. I think Louisville is thirtieth in the RPI. Yeah, thirty. Um, which is a little surprising, but Vanderbilt on Louisville, that, that battle always gets to be, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a heated one and that it'll mean a lot to them, but yeah, they Louisville got swept in Clemson, um, in early, let's see, it was this past weekend. Uh, yeah, they got swept at Clemson. Um, they're reeling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they, Lost two out of three the weekend before to Miami in Louisville, um, and you know they've they've had some you know they got swept at Duke in Durham on the weekend the last week the midweek in um, April April twenty one twenty two and twenty three so they've been on a little slide here lately but still the victory matters and it'd be a top 30, 30 RPI victory for Vanderbilt if they can get it but we all know that that game is is pretty tightly wound as far as the competition those guys want to win it on both sides all right so i got a little distracted because i was was researching something on louisville as you were speaking because i've got a prediction for tuesday this is what's going to happen and this is going to drive vandy fans bonkers because it seems like this is what always happens in that ballpark louisville will find somebody that's thrown about 10 to 15 innings on the year and start them. And that guy will like two hit Vanderbilt for five innings. And then they'll, oh, yeah, yeah. they'll go to, you know, they've always got a pretty good back end. They'll, they'll go to set up guys and stuff and it'll be five to two Louisville at the end of the day. And, and the world is, is ending. Um, Kate, I'm looking at candidates. It's just, if this goes to Caden Campbell's got a 587 ERA with 15 and a third innings, he's made one start this year. Uh, 19 strikeouts to five walks. I have no idea if that's who they're going to start or not, but I'm just like trying to go by history and blueprint and, and kind of where this team is right now and the intersection of what could go wrong and <laughs> oh, I, I the fans totally being worried about it. stuff. Like I, I, I can totally see it playing out like that on Tuesday. It has happened. It has happened before. I tell you that much. Um, and we've seen it and, and in this in this rivalry, we've seen guys from on the Vanderbilt side too come through. But there, there, there's a lot of emphasis played. I mean, of course, they have the battle of the barrel that that they trade back and forth. Whoever wins the 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 uh, that game, but uh, we have seen that all too often on the is the Louisville side where there's a guy they throw in and it's he looks like he should be a weekend starter. Yeah, let's get to Vandy for a minute, Chip, because I look at it and I go. You got Hunter Owen back to to pitching at a dominant level after a kind of an okay start last week against a Kentucky lineup that, again, I think is really, really tough. He didn't have his breaking ball, and he still gave up, what, two and four innings, which was good against that lineup. He got the breaking ball back. You saw how that went in Tuscaloosa. Futrell was terrific. He's been just super consistent all year for them. To me, it's a matter of getting Carter Holton right. And to me, there's 
some things that you can explain there. I don't know what it is that he's struggling with his landing point. I don't know if that is a the arm hurting has made him compensate with something else, and that's how it looks. I don't know what it is, but the, the whole thing where he can't get comfortable on the mound with the landing spot is just kind of weird. But, man, if you get him back to pitching reasonably close to Carter Holton, there aren't a lot of teams in the country that can match the three they got. Then then you throw Maldonado and Ginther, and you can piece together a couple innings from somewhere else. I mean, they got three guys that they can get Holton right that are – you know, can get you through a lot of innings. And again, I look at the pitching around the country and around the league. There just aren't a lot of teams outside of Wake Forest that can match up with Vanderbilt if you get him right. And to me, that's the key. Got to get him right. And and, and Vanderbilt's. I'm, I'm. I don't say this lightly. If, if they can't get him right, it, it's going to throw the entire pitching rotation and and what you're talking about in disarray because I mean he get he skips the Missouri season series comes back just has a horrific series against South Carolina doesn't get out of the first pitches okay against Tennessee well enough but it's still not his the the sharp that we're used to uphill battle against Kentucky seems like he's just swimming upstream can't you know in every game every inning in that part is a struggle he hits like three or four guys and just in this situation, one and two third, four earned runs, you know, I mean, one strikeout, two walks, 56 pitches and, and one and two thirds. And you're seeing a high level of volume in pitches from Carter Holton in, in a limited number of innings. And ever since he stepped foot on this campus, when he was a freshman last year, this was talked about. And so this is something that is obvious, the coaching staff. Jeff sees it. Corbin sees it. Scott Brown sees it. It is a point of emphasis. It's talking about his rushing, that he gets sped up, that he gets yeah. in the flow of the game, and it's almost like a hyperactive where he is, you know, there's a, he, he works faster than any pitcher on the team, bar none. I mean, it, it's, it's painfully obvious that the pitch clock doesn't, you know, you don't even need to have one for Carter Holton because he gets the ball. And, and you know, fielders love playing behind a guy. The game goes quick. Uh, but it, I, I don't know if that's what they're talking about being sped up, that he's just deliberately not taking a deep breath, settling his heart rate and, and going through it. But that's continually said when he has a bad outing, it is that he's getting sped up, that he's doing it himself or he's causing the, the other team to do this. Um, and that's been his trademark. So it's something that obviously they know and they're working on it, but it just it they got to get that right. They have to get him into the part where he is the dominant player that he can be. Because if they don't, and this continues to go on, I mean, there's already some discussion. Uh, I'm not not inside information, but there has to be. You know, do we want to keep him on Friday night? Um, this, you know, the trademark of, of what's going on. But when to do that, you have to mess everybody's spot in the rotation up. And now the short week with Thursday coming last week. And that's a big deal. A lot of people think, ah, we'll just switch up and we'll, you know, we'll let Owen go on Friday night. We'll, you know, or we'll move Futrell to Friday night, Owen on Saturday, and then we'll put Holton on Sunday. Well, there could be some validity to that, but you have to understand that affects three people. It doesn't just affect Carter Holton. And so there's a lot that has to be taken into that. And you're wondering, some people say, well, wouldn't that just take some pressure off of him being a Friday night starter? 
moving them to Sunday or moving, you know, doing that musical chairs. Well, there's a lot that goes into it more than just switching around the order. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's a landing point, if it's, a, if it's something that he's compensating for because he has an injury that we don't know about specifically. We know that there was some tightness, but they've got to get that right because a Holton, Owen, Futrell trio in a regional or a super regional is hard to beat and hard to match up at. But you got to have all three of those guys working together uh, individually in their games and then as a unit. And right now they don't have that. And it was disappointing. It seems like one of, you know, we got Owen back. He looked dominant on, on game two. Futrell's just kind of been, I mean, he's had his moments, but he's been steady. It seems like Futrell, he's going to be good for six, seven innings, and he's going to give up two, three runs each outing, and he's going to strike out eight, and he's not going to walk many people. And he's been the consistent guy in this whole thing. So um, they're just going to have to get it right if they're going to have any success in the postseason. All right, I'm going to take a walk back down memory lane a little bit. I can't believe I didn't think of this till last night, but do you remember who Vanderbilt's number one starter was in 2014? Uh, let's see. 2014, hit it with me. I've got a couple candidates, but... It was Tyler Beatty. And do you remember Beattie, what yeah. the second half in the postseason was like? Oh, yeah. When he... It was a mess. Yeah, he was started messing with his delivery and his motion and he was taking hands above his head and then he was just went to hands not taking above his head i remember that all too well because i talked about it in omaha i noticed that i mean they, it, and it became a mind game with him he could not get it right and once it started floundering for him he never was the same oh yeah i, I remember now do you remember what happened who the number one starter in 2019 was let's see 2019, was that uh, McIlvain? No, that was Drake Fellows. Fellows, Fellows, uh, Fellows. Yeah. And that was very hit and miss. Sometimes he could go seven, eight innings, give up one or none. And, and sometimes like the Duke game where they got just clocked on Friday night at the Super, where they lost 18 to six or whatever. That was a Drake Fellows start. That was kind of the roller coaster they rode. They lost game one to Michigan. Right, the College World Series. I don't remember if it was a good start or a bad start, but I just remember he made the start. Point I'm making here is that they they have had on the two teams that that won it all, they had big inconsistencies or troubles from their Friday night guy, and the rest of the staff was good enough to pick them up and win it all. And I think I can make the case that's the case again this year. I mean, yeah, but you just you, that Friday night game is so important. I well, mean, it is, and, and I agree. And I mean, and I, that's why I think if they if they get him right, they're really tough to beat. And they have to get him right. Yeah, I mean, he's such a he was the one of the three that you were thinking to me if you went into the season, and I think that's why he's the Friday night guy. That you know he's going to give you five, six, seven innings, but it's his. Again, we talked about this last week. It's the ability to pitch inside you like, but when you you know the hit batsman that he's had and the fact that he's throwing so many dadgum pitches, that is what you don't want. I mean, an inning and two third, fifty six pitches last week. What was it? It was in the eighties, right? I mean, it was it was through two or three innings he threw eighty pitches, yeah. and of course Kentucky was fouling a bunch of balls off last week, last weekend, the weekend before this past, and contributed to a lot of that. Um, but that's where it worries you a little bit that that 
that model of consistency that we were used to is not there right now and hasn't been there. Um, and I don't really remember his outing against Tennessee, but you're talking about a four or five. There's enough sample there now, Chris, to look at this. If I am those guys making decisions about the rotation, you know, it's, this is not a one week thing. This is not a two week thing. We're yeah. going, we're going, we have to go back it's half a season at this point. Yeah. Right. And so that's what worries me a little bit that, it's something that he he can't get together. I'm not saying he doesn't have the ability to, but that I think they need to find out real quick. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't buy the fact that Carter Holton isn't any good. I just think it's a mechanical issue or, or health issue or whatever. However you want to phrase it, I don't know what the truth is. But so there's that. I, I think you have to start looking at Friday as Carter Holton slash Patrick Riley and. Maybe having a quicker hook, and also, my goodness, why they didn't have somebody else ready for Riley after 85 pitches or so in his appearance, I think they let him go 102. I didn't get that. There were a lot of pitching decisions that I didn't understand all weekend. Yeah, Riley, um, when you haven't thrown that many pitches and and then you're thrown into that situation, you get wasted pretty quickly. I mean, you there you hit a wall – when you have it now, now he, the weekend before, I think he had stretched himself out in that game against Kentucky. When I, I talked about, he was the star of the weekend last week in that series, by the way, he just kind of saved the day and calmed the game down and got them that victory. But, um, yeah, it was a little surprising. They didn't have anybody up and in that situation, um, the other one probably would be, and you and I discussed this, Thomas Schultz, bring him in. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a, when you're a pitching coach, I'm not sure. I'm sure they collaborated and said who you want to go with. You you want to go to the well, back to the well with a guy that you've depended on many times in the past, who's a strike thrower, who can who has a high level of velocity. Like Schultz, you want to give him back out there and give him a number of opportunity. And that was one that, you know, when he came in, that was a little surprising. I was driving when I was following the game and heard that he was coming in for the eighth and was a little surprising to me um, that he was the one chosen. And then bad things happened after that, and the solo shot, and um, couldn't close it out. But I think you and I discussed that, that that was a little surprising to you too. Yeah, well, and then they went to Bryce Cunningham right after right. that, which was another thing I just didn't see. I don't know. Look, I'm sure they had a reason. I may or may not disagree with it, but I wonder – what was underneath the surface there? Because the obvious move would have been to go to Maldonado or Ginther. And that's two weekends in a row that in a game three situation, they didn't do that. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, looking down of who, you know, I, I still like Ginther that, yeah, they are going kind of Ginther Maldonado. That's the Ginther to get kind of the bridge between the starter and Maldonado, um, is what they've done. Uh, you, you know, I don't think that had, Laboki didn't get the ball this weekend. I don't think, right? I, I'm if I'm mistaken, Correct. I don't think he did. Um, uh, you know, it's just, and then you know, with Dukanich, Chris, you wonder. I, I, you know, this is just talking out loud, and in this modern day of portal and drafting, draft eligible as an er, at an earlier age, and some sophomores are draft eligible, but Dukanich, I mean, he's a red shirt to me possibility is it that's what if, if he's only thrown six innings do you think that's a possibility unless i mean i'm just really surprised he's not gotten back out there unless there's just something that we don't know you know it's like one of those hockey injuries in the nhl they yeah 
they, you know, they don't tell you to the end of the year. And then they find, we find that this mystery report comes out, at, you know, when two weeks from now, like, well, Andrew Duquesne just tore his you know, hamstring <laughs> instead of, you know, strained it, it's torn, you know, I mean, you just don't know. And I know that's been asked at a couple of press conferences, but at six innings for the year, I think he would have been, if he doesn't pitch, I think in the next, if you don't get him out there before the Arkansas series, do you think it's worth it bringing him back or does it matter well, when today's Yeah, out? Yeah, if he's healthy and he can pitch, then absolutely because he's a draft eligible sophomore. Redshirt okay, years of material. What, okay. I mean, unless unless okay, it well, just that, goes that, horribly that's what wrong. I was talking about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize he was I was giving that as an example of these kids sometimes being draft eligible as sophomores. So if that's the case, you gotta get him out there. Yeah, it doesn't do any good. Yeah. If he's healthy. Yeah, I, I just I don't know if that was Something in the matchup, if that was a, hey, it worked with Schultz last weekend, let's see if we can get two in a row. Because I do think that he makes a lot of moves to see what can we get in postseason and who can we count on. And it feels like to me, he's never said this to me, nobody's ever said this to me, but this is just my watching it and knowing him and trying to figure it out. I just think that... Because, look, they've got a... They built themselves a margin of victory here, right? I mean, other than if your goal is the SEC championship, then maybe you cost yourself that with the, a pitching decision or two this weekend. If your goal is to see what can I count on in a, in a regional, super regional Omaha situation with the game on the line and pitching a guy in a pressure situation, then it makes more sense. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I mean, you're setting yourself up that you might need him, might need him down the road in a in a tight situation. You want to give guys opportunity, so I, I, I do see that. You know, there, there's what has changed over the years. You got teams just busting it and doing bending over backwards trying to win East Division titles and Western Division titles and SEC regular season championships. And I get all that, but I think the game has changed a little bit with what's going on that. It's just you want to put yourself in the best position for the postseason tournament, and not, I'm not talking about the SEC tournament. I'm talking about the big one, and um, you know, and, and I think a lot of teams have gone to that. Maybe to where 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. But let's get, let's get the elephant out of the room. I mean, he's sitting over here in the corner. Um, the when we're talking about decisions with Schultz. And and the I know that's this I, I glanced at your board a little bit and it was discussed about the bunting no bunting sacrificing in the in the ninth because um, I know that's probably on the on a lot of people's minds there and I know you and I texted and it didn't bother you all that much um, no when Vastine Vastine flew out to the shortstop in that situation so I'll let you go first. Um, and I'll well, I just think, I think runners first and second, what they had, Vastine, Espinal, and um, and Bradfield do up, and Bradfield ended up getting hit. I, I don't mind it. I think if a guy can just put the ball in play, and, and I, I guess with Vastine, that's an issue. And if you want to, if you want to take issue with that there, I'm fine. Um, now, now, what I thought they should have done I thought they should have pinch hit Bulger for Espinal because that's a guy who's much more successful about putting it in play. To me, you just need a guy to put it in play. And and to me, if you, 
if you bunt a double play or a force somewhere where you don't want, well, that can also happen with a bunt too. It didn't really bother me that much. Um, and you have Bradfield coming up who can usually put the ball in play, although he did take some bad hacks at occasions. I don't know. I wasn't as up in arms with it as everybody else was, but but I also get it too. Maybe maybe with Vastine being the first guy there and him striking out a lot, maybe it's it's more of a fair point than I acknowledged at the time. But it it at first blush it didn't bug me that much. Let me ask you a question. This is just, and I think you know the answer, but it's one of those rhetorical questions. How many teams in the SEC do you think have a catcher who bats fourth, and his and when he doesn't play, he's good enough. He's good enough to bat fourth, clean up right. Yeah. When he plays, but when his replacement bats ninth, and you don't DH him. So, in other words, what I'm saying is, if Bulger's yeah. good enough, and I know we have a DH now with Maldonado, but if he's good enough to bat fourth, clean up when he plays. Then why is he not DHing? Yeah, that, I mean, look, I have not disagreed with that all year. That is one thing that I just do not understand. And that might be just righty lefty stuff, statistics, putting the ball in play, yeah, all those you got things. Other righties but, too. I know. I, I, it just that, that's one thing that kind of and it was brought to my attention this weekend. And I said, you know, I don't have an answer. It was, um, and but you, you see my point. I, it just it it. it oh, ab- absolutely! It hasn't made sense for me all year. Okay. Well, and and when I started thinking about, it, I go, well, maybe I'm the crazy one that I hadn't figured it out as well. But uh, that does seem a little strange to me. I I just with with the way that. Um, Number four over there in the third base box plays statistics and is been known to play small ball and do it. Just it surprised me a little bit that he didn't bunt him over. Now he he showed bunt, Vaston showed bunt on the first pitch, and it was a one zero pitch. And I think it was a ball. I mean, it was a it was the first pitch. He was a ball, so it was one zero. Then he flies out, which a little strange to me. And then you have espinal come up if he had runners if he sacrificed and let's assume that he gets thrown out at first you get runners at second and third espinal's up with one out then bradfield you know it just it seems like you could have pinch hit there as you mentioned put the ball in play get a fly ball sacrifice fly whatever and that that just didn't happen yeah and i know there's always hand wringing over not hitting in clutch situations that's the thing that people have just gone on ad nauseum for years and this team doesn't have it. I mean, I've I've heard it all over the last decade. I think Aria Gerson had tweeted something out before the weekend. I think Vanderbilt was batting like 30 or 40 points higher than the second place team in the league with in, in league play with runners in scoring position or something like that. Like they have they have been doing crazy well at hitting in when it matters this year. And and that was just yeah this on Sunday, what were they? One for thirteen in the runners' scoring yeah. position. One for thirteen, one for fourteen, something like that. It was abysmal. So you're going to have games like that. Um, you're going to have outings when you're not getting the pitching. If you're LSU and you're so good on Friday night that you look like you could, well, you don't you don't look like that lineup on Friday night for LSU could beat anybody in the country the majority of the time. But then there's a huge drop off in that situation Boy, on Saturday. They are shaky. Yeah. Yeah. So. Every team there, I don't think there's a team out there. I know there was some discussion on the SEC network and that, you know, 
Wake looks like as far as if you take rotation, if you take how they are doing, the, the age of their team, if you're talking about how they've played, you know, they're 13 and 5 on the road, they're road tested. Again, rotation, lineup, up and down, one through nine. They look like the team, complete team, as opposed to LSU being a dominant on one night. You still, you got to win two out of three to win a super regional. And to get to, when you get to Omaha, you got to win more than one. So it's going to be a tough road for anybody when they face Skeens, who's probably going to be the national pitcher of the year, undoubtedly. I don't think there's, I, I think if it was held today, it would be him. Um, and, you know, you, but you, you got to win more than one game to win it all. Yeah. Wake is the best team in the country to me. Most ballots into discussion. I, I, I think it's pretty clear to me. And, and if you want to go back to, to complete teams and I will, I will start here again. I think just Owen and, and, um, Futrell alone, give Vanderbilt one of the best rotations in the league, no matter what Holton does or doesn't do. And if Holton is pitching again like he can, they've got the best rotation in the league. Fielding percentage, looking at this right now, league games, Vanderbilt number one, 985. And as much hand-wringing as there has been about the offense, who's number two in the league and runs scored in league play, Chip? It's not LSU. It's uh, is it? Uh, you told me and I forgot. It's not, LSU's like fourth or fifth, right? It's Vandy. It's it, LSU one eighty six, Vandy one eighty one. Everybody okay. else, South Carolina, Florida one seventy and below. Yeah. As okay. much as people have been up in arms about they don't have an offense, it's not any good. I, I don't know what to tell you. I see some of the same things that yeah, sometimes the there's there's a little too much swing and miss at the bottom, but like that that happens everywhere. I mean, those are the facts. People can make up what they want and tell me their lineup's not any good. But if you're not any good, how are you number two in the SEC and run scored in league games? Yeah, and and um, and just when you think that some you know you people are ready to give up on somebody, Davis Diaz showed out this weekend with the leather yeah. and, and the bat, and then you you know so it's up and down. I I don't really. I'm not sure what happened in left field this weekend with the old musical chairs there. You know, you had Alabama wins 11 to two Polks and left goes over three with a strikeout and then has a, a bad error and left. And then, which is something you haven't seen. You know, we've talked about one thing we've talked about the last five weeks and I've said it probably every podcast is the fact of the consistency of this lineup that they've thrown out there. And then it looks like in game two and three of this series, they tried a little something different with left field. And they, which I don't understand. I, I still question old Cal Hewitt is, is not getting more chances, but anyway, that's just me. Um, but like, once again, you're just not seeing, you're seeing six position players that have played and gotten at bats outside the top nine. And of those six that have, have gotten the extra at-bats, one guy's got five at-bats. Actually, one guy's got two at-bats. One guy's got nine, Troy Laneve. So you're really talking about a sample of, of – and again, it's just that seems a little different to me in years past. I keep pointing that out, and I don't know why that bothers me. And when I say bothers me, just depth-wise with some of the people that they've had recruiting classes – 
that there's not some more competition out there for some of these guys who maybe have been struggling lately, but they just, it's just not there. And, uh, yeah. and that just seems a little peculiar to me as compared to years past. Yeah. They've been fortunate that they have stayed injury free in the lineup, I think, because, and maybe who knows, maybe if it, if somebody does get hurt, maybe somebody who's not been playing steps in and with the opportunity proves to be more capable than, than, you know, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how much that matters at this point as long as they stay healthy. But I have a theory. He must have gotten ticked off about something with Polk. because, And I know he dropped the fly ball. I came in, I went on a popsicle run to the, the fridge <laughs> when he dropped the fly ball. Which, by the way, they play so quickly right now. Like, you barely have time to step into the kitchen between at bats or even innings sometimes. And a lot of times, most of the time I've come back and I've missed a pitch or two. I didn't even see Vastine bunt or try to bunt for the same reasons. I, I didn't even see that. I had to step out of the room for a minute. And the, the pace of play is so fast now that yeah. you step away for a millisecond and you miss something. Yeah. But because Polk went from the guy that, like they left in and let him swing away in a, in the clutch against Kentucky on Sunday's game, and he hits that double into the corner. That went from they didn't take him out for defensive replacement that Sunday like they normally do to put him in that spot to he drops a fly ball on Friday night or Thursday night, as, as it was in this case, and then you don't see him the rest of the weekend uh, from game two on. Yeah, and we don't we don't really know the inner workings of what's going on in the dugout or what happened in in that situation. But that that was a little different. The fact that they tried that once again, they've been so consistent, um, and they didn't go with uh, they went with McKenzie, right? They didn't go with Hewitt in that situation. Hewitt's yeah. always you would you think Hewitt would be the natural replacement if there was some switch in left field uh, with the number of at bats that he's gotten. I mean, he's played in thirty seven games. He's played in 37 of the 47 games, so you would have thought. So that was a little, you know, just threw up a light bulb there and made you question a little bit. Yeah, and I know we're both up against it. Uh, you've got to be somewhere, and so do I too. But I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember. I'm going through, flipping through the scorebook. I believe, yeah, McKenzie started the last two days, right? Yeah. That may be one of those last ditch. We got a fourth year guy who's done all the right things and flash things, and let's give him a chance to hop in the lineup here and see if it clicks. Like that's what happened with Vaz. Was it one Vaz. or two years in a row? Yeah, Vaz. I mean, exactly. occasionally you see a thing where he makes a move like that out of the blue. I want, and it might have happened a little bit with Hewitt, but you see occasionally one of these things where a guy pops in the last two or three weekends of regular season play, and the next thing you look up and that guy's a fixture in Omaha. This, if McKenzie were to stick somewhere, this would not be the first time he's tried that. Yeah, that's and that's what happened with Lanive, if you remember. Lanive got his chance. Yeah, but his was, was, his was a lot ago, earlier. Right? And his was a lot was earlier. Intro. Yeah, right, right. That's true. It was more like, well, it was, I thought it was like four or five weekends to go. For some reason, I remember it was more of a, a mid-April when he came in, when he uh, made his charge. But yeah, that's you're exactly right. That's exactly what happened with Vaz. So who knows? We, we don't know what, once again, we don't know what's going behind the closed doors and in the dugout and in the locker room. And those are things that we might not ever know. Yeah. Well, I'll do a podcast with Luke after the Louisville game, which I will 
probably not get to see much because my son's team has a, a playoff game. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah. in any case, Chip, thanks for joining us today. And tell folks about your real estate business on your way out, please. Sure. Just uh, tell you a little bit about Frederick and Clark Realty real quick. We've got two offices in Green Hills, uh, just about a block or two west of the mall, I guess you would say, west of Green Hills Mall, and uh, one in Brentwood in the Maryland Farms. But the main thing is the people that we have in those offices. We have 180 agents who do this business full-time. They know the Nashville market, the Middle Tennessee market, the, the ones in the Maryland Farms sort of focus on the Brentwood, Franklin, Spring Hill, but they sell houses anywhere. If you give me a call at 615-327-4800, be happy to hook you up and listen to your needs. That's the main important word, to listen to your needs as far as if you're selling or buying a home. Talk to you a little bit about the process, where you are, where you're wanting to move, or if you're just moving out of town and moving your family to some other community, unlike all the uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who are in town. Did you go to the Taylor Swift concert last night, Chris? I'm sure you're up to uh, How much money do you think I make? <laughs> I thought the tickets were going to go down a little this bit. Is, my this daughter is the really wrong profession. My daughter really wanted to go and, and was one of those weird things about the ticket market, um, but they did not go down. But anyway, thank goodness if I had gone with her and found tickets, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be asleep. But um, anyway, I digress. Uh, we have a website, frederickandclarkrealty.com. You can check out listings, active listings, inventory, things that we have for sale and things that our cooperative realtors, partners across the mid-state have for sale. So it's a great process. And again, I can listen to your needs, talk to you about it, get you with, hooked up with a realtor in our office that specializes in your home sale or your home buy purchase. It's still very important to get a professional on your side in this market, and that's what we're here for. So check us out at frederickandclark.com. 615-327-4800 is a number that you can get in touch with me. Yeah, on, on that topic, I was told some grievances were aired by my 11-year-old over the weekend when I wasn't around about <laughs> about not having Taylor Swift tickets, which I, I, did, I didn't really know this was going to be an issue coming into the weekend, but you know, yeah, sometimes 11-year-olds just complain about whatever's in front of them. That's right. Well, it was um, a weekend that I wanted to stay as far away from downtown as possible. There was so much going on, graduations. They said a couple college graduations were going on, they said. You had a concert at Bridgestone Friday night. No, Thursday night. They did those three. So um, hope they got a lot of cleanup crews getting all that. But I'm amazed. Last thing I'll say, I'm amazed how they got the ordinance. I mean, isn't there like a noise ordinance that um, um, that exists in this town? Because that concert, I think they said it ended at 1.30. So in oh, the morning, I, I, so. I have Somebody no idea. Got, I, yeah, I'm the last. So. I never go out and do anything fun, so I'm the wrong guy to ask. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I don't. It's true. <laughs> well, you go to baseball games. That's your fun. That's eh, your, right. Your, that's my. So. That's my thing. Um, right. Do you know where Taylor Swift went to high school? Uh, she did not go here. She I, did. I think she homeschooled. She did go to school here. Oh, Anderson come on. High really? school. High school. Oh, of that's Champions. right. Yeah, that's right. She did move. You're right. Now it's okay. She lived up there in Hendersonville. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, I was, uh, that's one of those strange, I went to a concert, I, I dated a girl when I was in high school and we went, uh, to a concert at Starwood, which I'm dating myself here, but, um, and the guy who I went with, we were on a double date and it was Dina Carter. Remember the strawberry wine? And of course at the time. Yep had no idea who she was. She just dabbled in music, 
my friend said and all that. And it's one of those things, you know, here this girl <laughs> hung out with her, sat on the lawn, and and um, that's my claim to fame as far as being stardom, that I hung out with Dina Carter when she was 18 years old. But I digress. It was a long time ago. I hate that they closed but, Yeah, that I did not mistake. know. But she went to Hendersonville. Yeah, of course. All right, Chip. Uh, I said, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoyed it. Got a big week this week coming up, and um, hopefully we can take care of Louisville and and um, got a big weekend in Gainesville. Got to go down there and get a couple. Well, and, and by the way, we didn't unpack all the stuff with Alabama. What a wild situation that was. Luke was down there, and I'll talk to him about that on Wednesday. But what a what a fiasco when your head coach is a, a, apparently betting against your team. I mean, yeah, that's. Uh, I want to yeah. listen to that. I want to hear what Luke has to say because. Um, that that uh, especially with someone who was there and and kind of talked to some people, I want to I want to hear about that. So definitely, that's going to be a must listen. Well, and and one more thing on the way out the door. Think about that a minute. The guy that you coach is doing things against your best interest in terms yeah. of you winning games. Like, how would you feel sitting in that dugout in the aftermath of all that? I mean, that's got yeah, to violate I mean, a lot of trust if that if that is the way it went down. He's done. If that's if that's the, he'll never get another job. I mean, no, that's and, and you know, right, right. So let's yeah. I want to hear what Luke has to say. I'll I'll listen to that podcast. All right, Chip. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. All right, Chris. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.